Hello, welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail. I am one of your hosts, Mike Bowden, just still head of Intermodal Solutions here at Freight Waves. And I'm joined by Joanna. I'm going to give you a nickname here, Joanna Storm Chaser <laughs> Marsh. Seems like you've been out um, chasing the storms, seeing exactly what's the, the issue with the, the, the railroads. Are you safely yeah, indoors yeah. now that, that, and, and not in the in that a you suits my personality. <laughs> That's so exciting. Um, yeah, storm. So Idalia, is that yeah. So she is the storm. Um was a hurricane. Uh I um it was a Wednesday, um, made landfall in Florida after you know being the Caribbean and the Gulf the Gulf of Mexico. And um so still heading out uh uh, eventually gradually to the um, Atlantic Ocean. So um, it's now a tropical storm, uh, but um, still, you know, uh, CSX um, made an announcement late. I think I think it was late yesterday because when I looked at 6 p.m. Eastern time, it wasn't there. But um, uh, that, uh, you know, that they had um, temporarily um, stopped some operations in um in sort of in, in Florida, Georgia, kind of the border around there, um, have since resumed those operations, but um, are kind of assessing uh, sort of uh, service impacts um, along the I-95 corridor um, uh, in, I think, Georgia and South Carolina, so around that area. So, um, so yeah, that's essentially what's going on. So um, as of now, I haven't gotten an update yet in terms of... Uh, whether CSX has restored that service, um, uh, you know, uh, near the I-95 corridor. Um, I mean, uh, they would notify customers uh, when, it, when it will restore service, but it hasn't been restored yet. Um, so it's one of those things that's just kind of, you know, just kind of uh, uh, things update uh, fairly quickly, which I guess is good in the sense that you don't really want um, um, significant, uh, uh, you know, I don't see delays to your operations, but you know, um, sort of th those times when you just have to pause things. So that's what's going on. Um, hurricane season. Yeah, you think of I ninety five as being more of a, a more of a truck corridor, um, but you know, CSX has a lot of operations near the coast. I mean, more so than Norfolk Southern does. It has a, a sonar chart that shows the rail lines. If we could bring that up, um, you know, and, and basically what this shows is that. Uh, this is that's where the, the the storm currently is on, on sonar. Yes, those are this one here shows CSX uh, lines. Um, you know, basically the main line in uh, in in yellow, and then Norfolk Southern, the other Eastern Class One railroad, in purple. And sort of the takeaway here is really, you know, Norfolk Southern doesn't go into Florida very much. Maybe it goes to, to Jacksonville, one other part in the, sort of the north central part of the state, but all that part in, in sort of central Florida. Um, you know, really sort of uh, CSX territory. And then when you go further north along the coast, you do see Norfolk Southern hitting the big port cities like Savannah, Norfolk, um, et cetera. But then you really see sort of CSX, their network being more, more coastal. And so a storm like this that kind of goes along, you know, where, where it cut through and, and, and going through the, the southeast, more potentially disruptive for CSX. Their tracks are a little bit more north-south than, than, than Norfolk Southern. Um, so uh, I, I think that's why we've seen more service alerts from CSX specifically. I also have an interesting sonar chart on outbound um, rail container volume. 
uh, outbound of, of central Florida. And so this is from a company that processes the railroad way bills. We have it in freight wave sonar. And what this is based on the date that these containers are ingated. And so you see sort of typically, you know, central Florida, not, not a huge region for uh, intermodal um, outbound, although there's a, a port there, you know, see, see typically, let's, let's say 210 containers uh, at sort of a typical day. And you see sort of before the storm hit, there looked like there was some sort of shipping ahead of time where they got some of those ingated, went up to about 240, and now it quickly went down to 190. Those are seven-day moving averages. So would expect in the next day, and this is up to updates every day, we would expect to look at this tomorrow morning and to see a, a more significant uh, you know, drop-off. But there's there's all, always things like that in sonar that you can you know, see in a bunch of charts. Anytime there's um, you know, some kind of disruptive events, you can see just exactly how disruptive that, that that's been. There's another chart that I don't have in my back pocket that I was looking at earlier today um, in sonar that was showing the the reefer um, tender rejection rates in central Florida. And, you know, yes, the tender rejection rates have increased um, nationwide. They've increased more than that in, in in Florida, but then the refrigerated ones really spiked way up in in, in Florida. So that seems to be where there's uh, capacity, uh, you know, tightness, um, you know, right, right at the moment. So that's a, a little bit of an overview. I think we can move on to the next uh, you know, topic here. Um, we talked a little bit about this, you know, last week. Uh, the situation with CSX. They had two different conductors in two different parts of of Maryland. One in Cumberland, I think one was in Baltimore. Uh, you know, die. This um, is is sort of a follow up to what we talked about last week. This NTSB uh, probes um, uh, employee training practices and. You know this this diagram is interesting, and I, and I really hadn't read, read the detail about this until I read your article. And it seems like I guess what happened is the conductor was in part of a training program. He was you know doing something called a, a shoving movement. I'm not sure exactly you know what what that means, but he was essentially riding this locomotive at nine miles an hour and. It there just wasn't enough clearance with these standing locomotives. I guess got got crushed. Was that your understanding? Yeah, yeah. It, it was. There are three people involved, and um, uh, yeah. So one one conductor was on one end, or uh, you know, one side of the. Actually, I think it was an intermodal rail car, and then the other one was on the 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 trainee was on the other end, uh, and then you know was uh, um, the. the it, it came too close to the um to to the parked locomotive and um and so the, you know the so that conductor trainees um sustained injuries that way and and later um uh died um you know after they took him to the hospital uh so um it you know i, I thought it was interesting that i, I you know that the that um you know that you I feel like you you see kind of forces working together in terms of like you know the the regulatory bodies. You have the the Federal Railroad Administration um, issuing its um, safety bulletin. Uh, uh, you know, after that accident, kind of shortly after that accident, actually um, talking about shoving movements and and being aware of clearances and making sure you know um, yeah just just uh, there's no regulation necessarily, but just uh, for the rail industry and for individual companies to be mindful of of um when when things get too close uh for people and uh and then and then you also have the ntsb um you know issuing their um of course the investigation is ongoing but kind of 
issuing, you know, saying what they're going to be focusing on, which is also the, the training and the um, and um, the, those close clearances. So, you know, sadly for better or for worse, it is interesting how like you know you have you, you have the regulators and and the federal government, and then you know, and then um, uh, Smart TD also came out with its own like internal uh, safety advisory, sort of telling union members to. Um, uh, to, uh, you know, if, if something feels safe, you can, you know, you can, uh, you can stop the train or you, you can stop what you're doing. Um, cause obviously, um, ensuring that everyone's safety is, is the most important. So, um, so it's, it's really how you have this momentum coming together in terms of, uh, um, looking to see, um, looking, looking to prevent, uh, a similar, um, uh, situation happening in the future. Yeah, I mean, these type of issues happen from time to time. And I thought it was interesting that one of the uh, sort of prescriptions to resolve this or make sure it doesn't happen again is to um, mark sort of mark areas where there's little or no clearance. I guess in this case, there was only seven inches of clearance. You think of seven inches, wow, that's you know n- not, not very much at all, um, certainly enough to, to injure someone. But it, it also seems to me that this would be something where like someone more experienced probably wouldn't have made this mistake. They would have sort of known that there was no clearance because I mean, those, those tracks, you know, haven't moved. Um, so it, it does seem like, you know, something maybe should change about the, um, you know, the, the training, you know, methodologies. Um, but, you know, for the most part that's the railroad for workers, I think would tell you that there's, there's sort of all of these different procedures that need to be in place and sort of the key to saying staying safe is to always follow I mean there's rules about you know when to cross you know tracks and the, and those things and sort of the key to staying safe is always sort of follow those rules even when there's no possibility for danger because you sort of when you're dead tired you're at the end of a 12-hour shift you sort of those habits can can stick and in those cases, it could, it could, it could save your life. But, um, yes, yeah, it's sort of a situation that, you know, we hope, uh, you know, doesn't happen again. And, um, but I appreciate your, uh, uh, you know, covering this uh, topic. Um, why don't we go to the next one here? Yeah. Uh, we're going oh, yeah. to give anything else. Oh, no, 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 no. I was just, I was just gonna say, I, I think it was smart TV. I'm not sure, but, um, you know, kind of re- covering this, um, that I, I think the, the other conductor who was, uh, the, the the one who's on the other side of, of the rail car, um, who uh, wasn't injured, um, I think was also a fairly new um, employee. Him, uh, I'm assuming to him um, himself. So um, you know, so so you also have that that other factor of, of you know when you you know, if if you have someone under your care who who's who's really newer a trainee, um, you know, ensuring that you know you you vet the um, e- e- you vet the, the the people who are in charge of that trainee or or you know not to place any blame of course in that person but um but you know uh it's always hindsight's you know <laughs> 2020 um so uh anyway but yes moving on moving on yeah that was a good point you brought up last week that you really have to have the right people conducting the training um it's, yeah so so moving on to the next topic this one i think is is really interesting so this is um so you, you talk about how falling grain exports will affect the U- U.S. railroads' capacity needs. Um, did an interview with someone, um, and essentially, like the grain volume has been really weak this year. We have a sonar chart, you know, to, to that effect, where um, 
you know, just looking at the AAR data. So this is data from the AAR. This is pretty widely viewed. It's in the, the packet that comes out every Wednesday from the Association of American Railroads. And you, and you see 2023 is this white line, this thin white, white line, and really showing an, an unusual seasonal pattern really since uh, the start of May. So going on, uh, let's call it four or five months. And, you know, if you go back a year ago at this time, everyone was concerned about are the railroads going to be able to handle the coming surge of grain traffic that takes place every fall when uh, this grain, you know, goes to market. And then, you know, sort of fast forward a year and we have the opposite problem. And, uh, you know, why don't you talk about, um, you know, wh why this is? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because it, it, the, the, some of the conditions aren't necessarily new. Um, I mean, part of it is just you, you have to think about uh, exports globally. And, and so, um, you know, for soybeans, you have competition from Argentina and Brazil. Um, for wheat, you have, you know, competition for the Black Sea and, and, other, and other regions. And so, um, so the U.S. and Canada as well um, are competing uh, against those um, those countries for those exports, and so um, so there's that factor that hasn't necessarily gone away. It's 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 been kind of like an, an ongoing issue, but but I think I think some market conditions this year just were just more in favor of of uh, the you know foreign countries this year perhaps than, than the U.S. and Canada. Um, but the other factor to consider is uh, sort of, um, you know, anticipation that there'll be more domestic biodiesel production, kind of like how, um, you know, with ethanol production, you know, you saw that, how that, you know, impacted um, corn, movements of corn, um, you know, I mean, of course, there's still corn being exported, obviously, but then you also have, you know, some, some corn saved over for domestic consumption to produce ethanol. So, um, so the question is, you know, how will that look like for for biodiesel and and, and soybeans and other um, ag products that potentially can be feedstocks for biodiesel? Um, but you know, just like corn, you know, how will that affect um, uh, how how the railroads plan um, their capacity and like and uh, and plan you know where to put crews and and you know um, where to uh, where to position. Um, uh, locomotives and stuff like that. So, uh, and and then you know how <laughs> you know if it's not traveling that far, if it's not travel or not as far, I guess, on out to the coast. You know how does that affect um, uh, the rail movements as well as grain? So, uh, yeah, that was a pretty neat um, piece. Uh, um, or at least you know the the interview was 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 uh, was pretty interesting. J. O'Neill. Um, who is a consultant now, his own consulting firm, but um, was with uh, Kansas State for for a while. So, um, yeah, we should try to get him on the show. Uh, we'd, we'd love to just yeah, um, yeah. Let, just let, let him talk. I mean, he just seems extremely knowledgeable um, from reading that 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 interview. And it, it is it is interesting. I mean, you have all these different factors coming together. So it's it's really on the, the supply because it's it's like one of these globally traded commodities it's kind of like when, when you talk about the canadian railroads how you have you know potash is a similar situation where it's it's globally traded and what's happening in you know russia or belarus impacts what's happening in in, in canada here you have a similar situation with what's happening in you know brazil and 
it's um, it's unusual, I guess, that the, the volume and market conditions would change so much from one year to the next. But a lot of that has to do with growing conditions. Um, I can relate this to a chart on coffee prices, uh, believe it or not. Um, if you want to bring up the, the chart they have on, on, on coffee uh, prices. And so this is the cash uh, uh, coffee futures. And so what you see here is the the, end of the, the left part is, is 2020. You saw this huge run up from 2020 to, um, you know, about a hundred to, to $260, um, you know, for whatever unit this is. So it, let's call it, it went up by 2.6 X and then it's gone, gone down. Uh, it's the lowest level it's been since, um, you know, mid 2021. And the reason for this is that the growing conditions have been so volatile in, in Brazil. I mean, the biggest, you know, export uh, country for, um, for, for coffee is Brazil. There was a big drought in sort of the middle part of the time time frame that lines up at the middle part of that chart, and so the 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 coffee prices really increased. They've gotten better. They've come down. I think we're having a similar situation with some of these 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 grain products where the uh, the growing conditions better in South America. That means it's a tougher you know competition there, and means you need fewer exports from the U.S. In your article, you also bring up the exchange rates and, and those are, you know, have as much impact as anything because you just have, you know, people only care about what their, you know, the, the commodity costs to, to them. And, uh, some of these countries in Latin America, if you think, um, you know, in, inflation's bad, you know, here, you know, it's, it's, it's worse there seeing devaluation of, of currencies, which really makes, uh, you know, people's lives, uh, you know, worse, but also makes their, their, um, their, their exports seem, seem cheap on a, on a globally traded, you know, basis, and then you almost have the, another impact, which is just the the aging you know population in, in various Asian countries, um, w- which is you know a big source of where a lot of these exports you know go, and and so it, it is um, sort of a lot of things going together. It does make it difficult if you're BNSF to know how many rail workers you need to work that uh, Pacific Northwest you know corridor, or if you're Canadian Railroad, how many workers you need to move the grain from Western Canada to uh, to, to Vancouver. Yeah, it, yeah. There, there's another story that I've, I've, <laughs> I need to write. Um, I have all the notes ready. I just, you just need to sit down and write it. But, um, but it, you know, it, it's kind of looking at the Canadian perspective, not so much in terms of uh, how you know how it relates to the Q and A, but just kind of more, you know, it, it, it initially it was going to be a U.S. and Canada, um, but uh, for better or for worse. Um, so, so my question was to to various sources. You know, are there you know uh, are there any concerns about rail service um, with the harvest uh, coming on the fall peak for for grain happening? Because um, it's you know it's it's something that uh, historically has been a question. Um, you know, several years ago, the surface transportation board uh, was uh, was asking each of the class one railroads to sort of submit their plans, and um, I, they stopped doing that. But that was a thing, so um, so we still keep up with the story anyway because you just you know. Because why not? And uh, and so um, the U.S. sources said they actually don't, and you know, see um, any issues arising, as you saw by that um, by that sonar chart. Um, uh, even though uh, that graph is expected to um, that line is expected to increase in the fall, um, you know, the the volumes haven't necessarily been <laughs> high uh, compared to recent years. So um, in the Canada. Um, I, I think a number of sources brought up 
sort of that 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 issue of of, of how do you handle um, you know forecasts versus um, you know capacity the the rail network capacity needs um, uh, both of the but both CN and CPKC um, they they have to produce annual you know grade report or annual reports to 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 the Canadian government saying you know what their expectations are for the year and I think both of them you know sort of stressed you know the importance of 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 um, shippers telling them you know what their you know what their forecasts are for grain <laughs> um, and then on the shipper side um, you know it was uh, what was it now it was um, you know the, of course the, the weather challenges but then I think for the shippers uh, there is some uh, concerns about uh, um, capacity actually at ports like the port of Vancouver. Um, so uh, it certainly uh, the the issue is it seems to be um, not just rail but also just the whole supply chain really um, for for Canada. But um, hopefully, I will get that written sooner than later because <laughs> it's harvest season that started already. Yeah, so we'll we'll check that out uh, when it hits, and then you also are working on um, report from an interview you did with Dan Walsh, CEO of Track Intermodal. Uh, what did you learn from from that interview? Yeah, so I think um, you know a, a few things. Like one was um, for the sake of asking, you know, what what sort of lessons did we learn from the COVID nineteen pandemic, which which somehow feels so long ago, even though you know you have the. Uh, rise in, in um COVID cases recently. <laughs> but um uh just the 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 in terms of, of concerns of whether there will be another um uh supply constraint um with, with chassis, he didn't think so just because the, those those factors that contributed to the chassis shortage in, in twenty one and twenty 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 one were so um you know, it was just so unusual and sort of a perfect storm in a way. And it wasn't just the chassis shortage he was arguing. I mean, you also had uh, just all the other um, supply chain factors affecting, you know, the chassis, you know, because you, you would have, um, you would have like intermodal containers like sitting on the chassis just, and, and the, the containers couldn't be, you know, they, they couldn't take the stuff out of the containers because, you know, because, there was just not, not enough resources in the warehouses, and so that kind of perfect storm of situation. So um, he he expects uh, sort of uh, you know some some intermodal bonds to potentially like rebound maybe in the second half of twenty twenty four. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, of course, uh, the world would be happiest if that happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's interesting because. Um... You know, you would think that there would be some rebound in 2024 just because the retailers are still drawing down inventories. I mean, I keep going back to this this quote from, from J.B. Hunt that they had the other day at an investor conference. And they say, I mean, they talk to so many um, shippers that do intermodal. And, and they say that you know, some of their shippers say sales have been good. We've been able to work down the inventories to a reasonable level over the past year. But they have other shippers who say just the opposite, that their sales volume is depressed. They have all this inventory. Uh, they don't want to discount it too heavily, and they're just trying to grow, sort of gradually, you know, um, draw it down. So they're hearing really mixed things, and it, I think it just depends on what exactly is being sold. 
and, and how aggressively those companies were with, with their inventories. I mean, some, you know, consumer products, which is largely what moves via intermodal, just hold up a lot better than, than others. You know, people seem to be d- delaying big pick, big ticket, um, sort of more discretionary purchases, but, you know, from the big retailers like, you know, Walmart really was aggressive in, you know, right sizing its inventory and they seem to be happy with, you know, where things are. So you would think things would improve in 2024. I don't think we're going to see any, you know, major peak season in 2023. Um, you know, all the coverage in the, you know, Wall Street Journal yesterday about how there wasn't any, just not going to be any peak season. I mean, we've been saying that for some time. So it took nothing to, to sort of take issue with uh, there. Um, so uh, we'll look forward to those two articles on the Canadian uh, grain uh, service levels and then the track uh, interview uh, with the track CEO, uh, which should, should be out um, in the next, uh, let's say, a few days. You seem to do you know, three or four articles a, a, a week. Um, and then uh, I encourage everyone to sign up for your newsletter, which you can find at any uh, at the bottom of any of your your articles. There's a there's a link to that. Yeah. And you have a newsletter as well, don't you? Like the, the stock out? I do. It is the Stockout, uh, which um, I'm now doing in partnership with Grace Sharkey. It's on CPG and retail uh, sectors. So let's look at the transportation industry from that perspective. You can uh, sign, up for, sign up for that at www.freightways.com forward slash the Stockout. So I'd encourage people to do that. Um, and that's all the time we have. Hope everyone has a great day.